Hey friends, this is Susan and I wanted to pop on real quick uh, to welcome you to our first episode of 2019 of She Speaks Stories. Today you're going to hear our She Speaks Stories live event that we did in Hampton Roads and it was a special evening and a beautiful evening and God showed up and the stories that we heard, they lent us courage and hope and belief and we believe even stronger now in the power of stories because of this evening because we know that if God can do that in their life, that he has the power to do that in our our lives as well. So lean into these stories and believe that God wants to show up in your story for this new year of 2019. We're so glad you're with us, friends. Happy New Year. sit down first? Or are you going to sit? What are we going to stand right here like this? You want to sit? Okay. We're clearly really organized. We are so glad to be here. We cannot even stand it. Our favorite thing on earth is stories. And tonight we get to hear four of them. Um, about uh, a year ago, Katie and I started this little podcast. Some of you may listen. Um, some of you may got, have been dragged here by a friend and you're wondering what in the world is going on. Well, welcome. Who are um, these people? Yes, really? Exactly. <laughs> And so uh, let me tell you a little bit about how our podcast got started and why we believe in stories so much and what we've seen God do in the last year. Um, about a, two years ago, I uh, came here to do a women's conference uh, for Tab Hodges at Water's Edge. And the, after it was all over, we went to dinner one evening and over at, what's that kebab place? Like, that's a detail that doesn't matter, but it's going to drive me nuts if I don't stick. What's it called, Tab? Zoe's? Zoe's. Okay, so we went there, and uh, we were having dinner one night, and I, Tab is one of those friends that um, she can speak serious truth to my heart in a loving, compassionate, um, but kind of kick you in the tail way when you need it. You know what I mean? Do you have those friends? And so we were eating, I mean, I can remember everything I was eating, not that you need to know those details, but I can remember what I was wearing, I can remember everything. We were sitting outside, the wind was blowing, and I was telling her just my heart's desire over a few things. Well, you see, with Tab, we had been here before. Like, I was always telling her my desire, my desire. Finally, she looked at me in her very kind but serious way, and she went, it kind of sounds like you need to go ahead and do it. Like, stop this. Like, go ahead and start what you're going to do. Fish and cut bait. Yes, that's or it. Or cut bait. Is, is that it, the same? It, no, I think it's fish? cut bait and fish. No, fish. Cut bait or fish. Fish, fish okay. or cut so bait. So that's basically what Tab said to me was, fish or cut bait, <laughs> fish or cut bait, yes. And so I kind of, and like, she had that serious mom tone to her, because she's like, Susan, if you don't make a decision, like in a year, you're still going to be here, and this still, you know, wrestling with this. So I went home. And I told my husband what Tab had said. And I'm like, dude, I got to like move because Tab was serious. Like we got to move on this. Like we got to move she's on gonna this. She's going to be checking up and up yeah, on Yeah, I'm me. like, I Tab's going to be, be texting. Here. And don't you know, like I'm like, she's going to be texting me saying, hey, what have you done? When are you doing about this? Well, so I just started praying about it. And of course, Ed, my husband, who I adore more than life itself, he was like, well, pray about it. Like, of course, he's like, don't do anything rash, irrational here. Just pray about it. And I was like, okay, well then in August, um, that's kind of where 
Katie picks up. Katie and I have been friends for almost 13 years. Um, um, We are at the same church in um, the Northern Virginia area and very much kindred spirits. And she loves stories as much as I do. And I will tell you this, we just got finished with um, a storytelling stopover trip, um, the two of us and our friend Gwen who does this with us. And um, it we were in nine states over like five days and we had went all the way out to Minneapolis, Minnesota. I don't know why, this is not in our notes. I don't know why I'm rambling about this, but we went all the way to Minneapolis, Minnesota. (laughs) I know. And um, when we got back, we had driven for like 70 hours or something. We got back and my husband was like, oh my gosh, did it feel like forever? I'm like, actually, it felt like we just left. I know. Like, I I mean, we talked the entire, like legitimately, we talked, the three of us, the entire way. But we didn't just talk, we like daydreamed. We daydreamed and like, what if God did this? What if, look what God is doing. It was just so exciting, so exciting. So after I had this like moment with Tab of make a decision if you're gonna do this, in August, right after we'd had that decision, I had these tickets to go see Annie F. Downs do a live podcast. Do you know who I'm talking about, Annie F. Downs? Okay, so she was doing a live podcast um, recording, and we went to this, and I was like, Katie, I've got an extra ticket. Do you want to go, and then you want to pick up here? Well, yeah, because you got to back up. You, when you said you had an extra ticket, you didn't tell me it was a live podcast. Yeah, I didn't tell her what it was. was Nothing about a podcast. She said, do you want to go to a women's conference? I said, well, what's it about? She said, I don't know. It's something for women's speakers. And Susan and I had done some speaking together, and we both were kind of investigating, doing more speaking. So we get in the car. We're headed to Nashville, another road trip, 10 hours. hours. But it felt like two. (laughs) Like, it was very quick. And um, she starts saying, I mean, I started asking her more about this conference. What exactly is this about? She goes, I think it might be something about a podcast. I'm like, huh. What's a podcast? <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me with that? She I was mean, like, I no. heard like sermons on a podcast, I guess. But I'm like, and she yeah. goes, yeah, and I think God w- wants you and I to start one. I'm like, Susan, I don't even know what one is. What are you, what are you saying? Yeah, and I was like, oh no, it's going to happen. Like, I mean, I was completely convinced of it. And we got to Nashville and... As soon as it was over, like the event was, Katie looked at me and she was like, what did you say about something about a radio? Well, once we got there and we're sitting in the audience and we're watching Annie Downs do a live podcast. I said, well, this is like an old-fashioned radio show. I didn't know what that was. I, I was like... <laughs> Susan's like, podcast, radio show. Yeah. Okay. I was like, okay, well, if you, she goes, we can do that. I'm like, if she thinks we can do it, then let's go with it. I'm like, yeah, it's like an old fashioned radio hour. Come on. (laughs) And so we, uh, we just started dreaming. And so the whole 11 hours back, we started dreaming about what it could look like. And so all of that rambling for me to tell you this. So in the last year, our one year anniversary with this past December 1st, and God, it's so like, if you, I mean, you kind of clearly are seeing it, but if you knew our personalities, you would know that it would have to be God to intervene. Because we are as scattered as you see. Because I said, Susan, do you even know how to produce a podcast? Yeah, I know nothing. I know nothing. No. But I mean, we'll learn. I'm like, yeah. She was like, do you know how to record something? I'm like, no, I don't have a clue. But we'll figure it out. Like, I mean, we knew nothing. And so we were like, okay, Lord, we're going to hand you the fact that we know nothing. But we both like to talk. And we both, clearly, and we both love stories. And we believe in stories. And so... Just show us what you want to do. We'll just, just show and us the what biggest you thing do. that convinced me on the way back, I said, all right, if we were to do this, what, story, what people do we know with interesting stories? We started making a list of oh my word, different it was like hundreds. people. I'm like, 
okay, this could be good. Yeah. So what happened from there is we started getting introduced to more and more women yeah. with incredible stories. Yeah. And it has been so much fun. Yeah. So in the last year, we have had, and we, we consider this like a little mom and pop podcast, but what I want you to know is we believe that women especially, we don't share our stories often enough because our stories have these moments in them that they're not all pretty packaged with a bow. And so the enemy convinces us to hold that as shame, and so we don't share it. But what we found in the last year of women sharing their stories is that every time that you share your story, you lend courage to another woman who has a story that's similar. And if they believe that God can do that in your life, then they might just believe he could do that in theirs. And so we've watched over the last year, people that are messaging us and saying, I've been struggling with the same thing, but because that woman said that he showed up for her, maybe he'll show up for me too. And so we're, we're realizing that every time a story is told, um, this past episode, um, Tom Flaherty said, every time a story is shared, God's grace is released into the world. So every time you're bold enough to share a story, God is releasing grace out into the world. And I'll tell you, um, that we're almost up to, uh, to 20,000 downloads. Now let me tell you, that is, not, that is not saying, wow, look at Katie and Susan. What that's saying is 20,000 times somebody heard a story that God intervened in what seemed like an impossible situation and people heard, if he can show up for that, then he can show up for me. And that's what we believe because women don't always support each other well. Women don't always show up sometimes for each other and women don't say, share your story because we want these perfect Facebook, social media, Pinterest lives. But when we share <laughs> stories of the yuck, that all of a sudden gives freedom to, wow, maybe, maybe that could help my yuck too. Yuck. And, and the, that's a and the idea that stories really do change lives, that isn't just a catchy little <laughs> tagline. It really does. And I'll tell you whose lives these stories have been changing first is Susan and I. Yeah. We'll interview someone, and then afterwards we'll be like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, and, we, and we'll make changes, and we'll want our faith to be stronger, and yeah. we'll want to follow Jesus harder, or we'll want to get out there yeah. and do the, the hard thing out in the community, or um, whatever. Yeah, whatever the story's about, Katie and I leave going, oh, that was for us. We're just going to let y'all listen in on it, but man, it was for <laughs> us, because it, it's that crazy. And um, over the last couple of months, we've been doing this focus on calling My Story Matters, and the stories that have come in, and women that have shared it to say their story matters it does matter. It does matter. And God allows our stories to happen for a purpose. Krista shared her story, um, and we got to hear what her incredible story was. And if you want to go back on our Facebook page and read all of those incredible stories, uh, we want you to, because those are everyday women where God invaded an impossible situation. And he, he just showed up, and he can do that over and over again. So tonight we have four stories that we're going to share. And they're amazing. They're amazing stories. And you have in front of you and this is a beautiful artwork that says, the struggle is part of the story. And tonight, that's going to be our theme. The struggle is part of the story. And Katie has this great analogy about stories in that 
um, really, we don't want them to be these perfect bows because that is not, God does not ever tell us our life is gonna be easy. He doesn't tell us, I mean, there's parts of our lives that are incredibly fun and wonderful and awesome, all of us in this room, but there's also parts of our stories that are very, very difficult. And there's a crisis that happens within our stories. And so we know, though, that God shows up in that. And so the struggle is a part of your story is gonna be our theme with that tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mm-hmm. had something you were gonna, I can't remember. Well, we were just really chatting good. about that. And I said, really, any story you read to be an interesting story, it has to have conflict and then resolution. That's what makes a story a good story. And so our lives, we think the bad parts um, will crumble us or fill us with despair and get us off track. But really, they are what make the pivotal moments of faith step in and bring victory and bring resolution in different ways. So, um, so we've we got, have some exciting stories We do, tonight. we do. You want to introduce our Let's first storyteller? Let's jump right yes. into them. We will quit blabbing and actually have some guests. Yes. <laughs> See, this happens back and forth, back and forth. It's not good. Okay. So introduce our first storyteller. Our first guest is Kara Hendrickson. And Kara, if you want to make your way up here while I just kind of introduce you a little bit. I got to meet Kara earlier today and we chatted. And here is the exciting thing that I love. She was raised in a military family. I'm married to a former Marine. I have three boys. They're all in the military. So um, go Marine Corps. Hoorah. And, um, and whenever I meet a, a military family, I love to ask, you know, where were you stationed? Because my husband was in tanks. Guess where we were stationed? 29 Palms in <laughs> Okinawa. Nowhere too fun. Kara actually got to go to Bermuda with her Marine dad. I'm like, Bermuda, what were you doing in Bermuda? But he ran the Marine barracks down there or something like that. And a cool part of her story, she met her future husband in Bermuda as a kid. But I'm not gonna steal too much of your story about your your husband. And now Kara works full time, has two kids, lives in this area. And um, I'm just gonna turn it straight over to you, Kara. Um, Well, there's many ways to tell a story, just like there's multiple ways for us to look at the same situation. Whose perspective do you use? What points do you focus on? And whose interpretation really matters? If I had to choose a way to tell my story, the story I want to tell my children and want them to know, it's the version where I'm actually not the hero, not the victim, but I'm the one We're taking stock in Kleenexes because emotions are brought forth in these stories. Mascara is a bad decision. It's okay, honey. But it's the one where imperfection and personal struggle were transformed into something really good. Some stories can't be laid out in a nice, tiny, paint-by-number kind of way. And this is the story of how I learned to paint outside the lines. And this is really how it began. My third grade art teacher specialized in watercolor. One day she showed us a sample of her work. It was this canvas of this magnificent Victorian home. I can still see the bright blues and greens. There's this warm glow cascading out onto the cobble streets and these mature oak trees. Um, But I was lost in the image when all of a sudden she drew our attention to this tiny little porch light that was on the front of the house. And what she told us next, It never left me. The 
porch light was actually never intended to be in that spot or in the painting at all. In fact, it wasn't even typical for the time period. You see, when she was putting those finishing touches on her work, a drop of dark paint had fallen on her canvas. That would have been enough for me to throw it out the window. And I don't know if you're familiar with watercolor, but once that paint drops, there is no removing it, and there is no painting over it. It's there. But her response? She turned the paint drop into a porch light. She referred to it as a happy accident. For me, that 30-minute art class would actually become the gateway for me to understand the way God turned my drops of dark paint into something unique and special that I could share with others. I would say that my childhood was picture perfect. We attended church, knew our prayers. We did the fun stuff too, vacations, tree forts, matching Christmas outfits. I was a rule follower, a good kid, normal as most middle kids go. My mom stayed at home, made our Halloween costumes, volunteered everywhere, kept everything in order while dad traveled for work. Oh my gosh, is anybody else ready to barf, right? Picture perfect. My parents did have a curveball or two thrown at them. Each of my siblings has a special need uh, that demanded significant attention. As the middle kid, I did my best to wait patiently at doctor's offices and generally just fly under the radar. But as I grew older, something tugged at me to claim my own distinction and my own uniqueness. By high school, I sought significance in identity through everything that I did from sports to academics. It just didn't seem to fit. My values were different. The few times I compromised them, well, those were headlines. And I remember feeling this huge divide between me and everyone else. So when I left for college, darkness just enclosed me. I followed any path that seemed stimulating. The lines really blurred between rules and who I thought I was. Those were really dark years. I felt as I, if, if I was living in the darkness, locked in this solid wooden box, and attempts to escape really only sent me further back into this dark chamber. One afternoon, that darkness consumed me. There was no way out. I was exhausted, numb. I even knocked on the inside of the box, but even the echoes remained quiet. They were absorbed by the walls of shame, regret, defeat. I had no desire to keep fighting or hide my suffering any longer. After all, here I was inside of a box and no one really even came looking for me. As I began to plan my permanent commitment to the box, the phone rang. And the voice on the other end was my lifelong friend. I'd summoned enough courage to tell him about the dark place I was in and my intention to give up entirely. I heard the pain in his voice when he responded to me. There's a surprising thing about hearing pain from somebody that you care a lot about. And it was just enough to shock my heart and realize that it was still beating. And if my heart was still beating, there just might be hope. We talked for a while through tears. He convinced me to get help. Enrolled in several art classes, I began expressing through drawing and self-portraits all the pain that I really couldn't yet describe. 
I showed them to my therapist who actually helped me see that there was a story behind my images. Fractions of light began to enter my darkness and by the spring of my senior year, my perspective changed with it. And all those early fragments of light shone through. God put opportunity in front of me. I had the opportunity to travel on several mission projects. I witnessed the struggles others faced and the incredible challenges that they overcame. And my heart was touched by their joy and I wanted some of that too. So I promised myself that I would get better and I would give back to God what he was already giving me. I ended up marrying that lifelong friend. Again, life seemed picture perfect. Don't worry, I won't bore you with any picture perfect details. But the honeymoon was short-lived. Just seven months after saying, I do, a call from my dad revealed that my mom had stage four brain cancer. I tried desperately to close the gap caused by the years that I spent distancing myself from her. I hoped my acts of service would somehow bring us closer and spent many hours on the road trying to be there as much as I could. She passed away 22 months later, and with my baby girl in my arms, I stood in front of her casket, and I buried my grief under regret and anger. Why would God take away someone that was so devoted to him and bring this darkness on her family? As my husband left for rotating deployments, I claimed the identity of strong wife, working mom, devoted daughter. But yeah, I just got my cape from the dry cleaners. Whatever anyone needed, I yelled, call me, I'll be there. But that tug on my heart returned. I spent so much time thinking about what my mother did for our family, and there was a tension of replacing her role as the glue that bound all things and people together with really truly having an identity of my own. The darkness crept back and it was in the faint box-shaped shadow. But this time, I responded to the pain with questions. Instead of hiding this time, I was listening. A few years later, while I was sitting at my daughter's dance studio, a mom invited me to attend her church. I'd never thought to invite someone to church. We didn't really do that. I resisted at first, thinking this didn't fit into my typical religious protocols um, that I'd followed all my life, but because she had asked, it piqued my interest, so I went anyway. My preschooler bounced off to her classroom that Sunday, and I left my five-month-old son with the baby whispers. Seriously, they're amazing. Freed from distraction, I began to hear a new truth. I could have a direct relationship with my Father in Heaven, and He wanted to hear directly from me, and that I mattered. He actually wanted to hear about my guilt, my shame, my darkness, and I heard they were already paid for, and that He had a use for all of those imperfections. I heard that I could walk away forever from that dark box that still haunted me. A bright light was spilling out into the horizon, and I ran as fast as I could to be in it, breathe it, live in it. I was listening, he was answering, and I followed without holding back. I look back now, and I can see the darks of the dark paint dropped all over, and they were meant to destroy my life. But God 
Thank God, he is a redeemer. God worked each dark drop into something good, and planting seeds in the darkness, he would later bring to the surface and beautifully reveal to me. What the enemy intended for destruction, God made a way, and he added glory to his story, and so his story is the one I choose to share. I've had a front row seat to watch my children and my husband give their hearts to God. He's so good. God has made a way for us to give generously and be part of healing pain and spreading love in all parts of the world. My babies are now much older, but I've told them the third grade art story to try to help them deal with disappointment, but I know I can't always be there to protect them from the pain that might be ahead. But God's painting a picture. He asks us to look at it from his perspective, in the light, and to be willing to paint a little outside the lines. Kara, that is, that is a beautiful story, powerful. So you would say you were raised maybe with religion, but not the idea of a real relationship with the right. Lord. Right, yeah. more about rule following. Right, and, right, right. Yeah. And then that time in college, were you just in, was it that box just like this dark depression? Oh, absolutely. And, and almost led you to suicide? Yes. Wow, wow. Yeah. I'll tell you, um, about uh, a year and a half ago, um, my, um, we lost my cousin to suicide. And my aunt now that I talked to, um, I just talked with her two weeks ago, and she said, um, Susan, never sit in a room with people and assume they're not sitting in darkness in yes, some way. Yes. And I would imagine you even sharing this story that there's women in here that are sitting in some kind of darkness. Mm -hmm. And what I believe the enemy does when we sit in that darkness is to tell us um, that we never should talk about that darkness. Absolutely. That we need to keep it quiet and we need to keep it to ourselves. And your story is so beautiful because it explains how you found freedom mm -hmm. in doing the opposite of just staying and keeping it to yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. that there is power in knowing that, I mean, there's, there's many of us in this room and um, you are not alone if you are sitting in any ounce of darkness mm -hmm. because Jesus wants so much more for you than that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we don't normally do this, but I do want to do this if this is okay. I just want to pray right now for any woman that is dealing with that because that yes. um, at the holidays, especially there is a burden on us sometimes when there's already darkness in our life, it becomes even more heavy uh, when we are dealing with that there. So um, Katie, would you mind praying for everyone here? And if there is someone that is dealing with that, um, we just want you to hear Jesus loves you deeply. And he has a plan for you, just like he revealed his plan to Kara. And his plan is never for you to remain in the darkness because he is the father of lights. So anyway, Katie, feel free. And that is our, our prayer, Lord, that you are light. You came into this world bring a, a peace, a joy, an abundant life, not as the world gives. And Lord, um, you know every one of us in this room, you know every listener uh, uh, on this podcast, you know how many hairs are on our head. You certainly know our state of being, our mental state of being, our emotional state of being. 
and you say, child, turn it over to me. You say, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Give it to me and I will lead you out. I will lead you out of the darkness into my marvelous light. Lord, we need you. We need you. And I pray, we pray right now that everybody under the sound of my voice would just take a moment to cry out to you. Whether their darkness is small or huge right now and ask you to show them. Show them the path out. Show them who you are. Show them your love. And we ask it in your name, Lord, and for your glory, knowing that you will answer. Amen. Kara, Kara thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> thank you Everybody, so much. Can you thank her one more time? Woo! She's got her lovely assistant. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, I do want to mention one thing uh, that I, don't, I think we failed to mention is that because when you were praying, it made me think of it. Um, all of these stories tonight are being recorded. So when she said that thing about the podcast, it's because um, we have the magic people in the background. I think Josh Fowler and Jamie. They are uh, recording uh, this so it'll play on some of our episodes. So that's why she was acknowledging that. Anyway, so are right, you want to introduce our second storyteller? Our second storyteller is Tammy Deerberger. And Tammy, as you come, I'll introduce you a little bit. Two very, very fun facts I found out about Tammy. <laughs> One, kind of cool, we actually interviewed Tammy's daughter-in-law on this podcast. Yeah. What, back it, in June, I It think? was a while ago. It was like six um, months or something, yeah. And, and Tammy's son and her daughter-in-law own a coffee roasting business. Coffee in our is town. Like my favorite drink in Legit, the world. It is. Besides well, no, moonshine, let's just, let's, but, I mean, minute, we're not going to talk about it moonshine. It is not a favorite drink. It's an obsession. Let's <laughs> it just is. call it. It's it an actually obsession. Love addiction. coffee. And then Tammy told me tonight that her and her husband own a pizza restaurant here. Donatos. Stop Donato's. it. Am I saying coffee that? Coffee and pizza in your family. I know, and pizza is literally is my favorite. Food. I know. I'd rather have pizza than steak or lobster. <gasps> I don't know. What's Maybe wrong they'll with deliver me. to our but hotel tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Does it deliver? So I'm like, that is so fun. Yeah. I'm like, and you know the coffee that um, her daughter-in-law and her son make. Um, they're in our town. Not that you needed to know that, but they're in our town, and it's so exciting. They're in all our, like our little local restaurants. So when you go there, you can say, "I'll take the Deer House Roasters, please," and they bring it to you, and it's so yummy. <laughs> it is. It's good. Tammy, you're our kind of woman. You so are. Can I Pizza and coffee. You're our kind of gal. Wait to hear your story. Yep. Well, thank you for inviting me and having me here. So. Um, my story started where I grew up in a small farm community in California. I was the middle of five children, two older sisters and a younger sister and brother. We lived in a beautiful home with a built-in swimming pool surrounded by a grape vineyard. On a clear day, you could see mountain ranges to the east and to the west. I remember the home-cooked meals at the dining room table every night mowing the lawn in the summer, the smell of fresh cut grass, and working on the farm to earn my money. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, served as a Girl Scout leader and on the PTA board, 
and my dad served on the school board and various community organizations. They were actively involved in the community and everyone knew the Nielsen family. Sounds like a great life, doesn't it? Yet, I grew up with an ache of something missing. My dad was present physically and provided very well, but oh, I craved more. I craved to hear him say that he loved me and that he was proud of me. We attended church until I was in the fourth grade and my older sister started complaining about going to church. You know how that can be. So I think they gave in. I recently asked my dad why we stopped going to church and he didn't remember. However, he did remember that we started riding dirt bikes. He, he built a trailer that held all the bikes and every Sunday we headed for the foothills to spend the day with other families who enjoyed the same hobby. Fast forward to middle school and like many young girls who crave their daddy's attention, I turned to a boy to fill that need. From ages 15 to 18, I grew up very, very fast. I got pregnant, got married, had a miscarriage, worked full time, was unfaithful, and got a divorce. And so for the next few years as a single woman, I worked, spent everything I made, partied almost every night, and I was extremely promiscuous. So at 22, I met a young man that I worked with and started dating, and he genuinely cared about me. I didn't know any more of those men existed, honestly. We married 11 months later, and I'm proud to share that we celebrated our 36th wedding anniversary in October. So David, my husband, was taught about God's love from a young age, and going to church was a lifestyle for his family. We started attending church while we were dating. I'm sorry, I need to lick my finger. I just cannot get a hold of this page. It's driving me crazy. We started attending church while we were dating, and I met God there. I discovered that he loved me and that I was a sinner in need of Jesus, and he saved me. My life radically changed. My choices, my thought life, my values, everything. So I was 25 when our first child was born. We joined a great Bible teaching church that nurtured us and helped us grow in our faith. And I absolutely loved being a stay-at-home mom and homeschooling our three children. However, I know now that I parented out of fear. Fear that our children would repeat my mistakes. Bible study at home, teaching our children godly character and virtues, prayer and being involved in church was our lifestyle. So when our firstborn began to rebel in about the seventh grade, I was taken by surprise. It was as though this stranger moved into our home. We hadn't lived that way or raised him to behave that way. And I was desperate to rescue him from the path he was taking. However, I allowed fear to control my actions and I became angry at him much of the time, which drove an even bigger wedge between us. Because I focused on what he was doing wrong, I felt hopeless. In addition to that, I felt judgment from other parents for our son's choices. How I wished I'd reached out to other women for support and encouragement. I could have found refuge, 
by sharing my reality with them without fear of judgment. Other women could have helped me to not believe the lie that our mistakes as moms, because we make them, are to blame for our children's actions. In my despair one day, I shared my broken heart with my pastor, and he said something that changed my life. He said, Tammy, God is the perfect parent, yet his children, Adam and Eve, chose to disobey. Oh my goodness, it was as though a thousand pounds were lifted off my shoulders in that moment. A thousand pounds of guilt, fear, and shame gone in that moment. Shortly after that, I was introduced to the spiritual discipline of praying scripture over my children and releasing them to God. I fell in love with my son, the coffee maker, (laughs) all over again. And healing started taking place in our relationship as God changed, not him, but me. My children are grown now, and I have the honor and privilege of being Gigi to three beautiful little girls. And I don't have any bitterness toward my dad or regret my upbringing. God used all of it to grow me into the person I am today. Through the years of spending time alone with God and getting to know Him, I now know that I am loved and valuable. And I was able to quit striving for my dad's approval. And as my dad aged and watched us raise our children, he began sharing his love and respect for me. But it came full circle this summer. Our youngest son married on June 2nd. My parents and four siblings came from the wedding, came for the wedding, and we all stayed together in a big house for five days. It was so much fun. We hired a videographer to film a legacy video of my parents being interviewed by us, their five children, about their lives, how they met, raised their children, careers, and life into retirement. My dad cried on that video and thanked God for each of us and for God's goodness. On June 21st, my mom collapsed. On July 2nd, after 10 days in the ICU and only 30 days after the wedding, she died. All five of us kids rallied around my dad, helping him plan my mom's funeral, caring for him, and grieving with each other. October 4th would have been their 66th wedding anniversary. You know, I'm so very grateful for those five days as a family last June and for the legacy video we created. I'm grateful that today my dad and I talk at least once a week and that he is sharing his heart with me and we are developing the relationship I longed for as a little girl. You know, there's so much to be gained in sharing our stories. The process of putting my story on paper so that I could share with you tonight allowed me to see things more clearly. It's as if I put on a new pair of glasses. God was there all along, you see. He was with me. That little girl craving her daddy's attention was always loved and always valued. I love that.
I was sitting here thinking as I was listening to your story, there's so many levels um, of a story that you could, you could hit upon. I noticed both stories. They had stay-at-home moms. They had what you would call the picture-perfect <laughs> upbringing. And yet there's always that, that, that crisis period in people's lives, right, where they're trying to find themselves. Who, who am I? And acting out and... Um, Oh, I can so relate to that. But then another level of parenting, and when your kids start growing up and they don't behave the way, I mean, that's a whole nother subject to talk about. You and I maybe are around the same age. I'm sure you're younger, but um, I remember when I did student ministry at our church, I was the student ministry director, and all four of my kids were in it, three were in high school and one was in middle school. And on one day, they all did something horrible. Different things, but everyone was reporting to me how, what dirtbags my kids were. And I'm the student... Dirtbags. And I'm the student ministry director. And I said, I have to quit. I have to quit. Who wants me working with their teens when my teens are terrible? <laughs> dirtbags. <laughs> well... <laughs> Oh, you guys, if you're listening, you're good now, but... <laughs> and the judgment and the, the guilt, the shame, I, oh, can I relate to that? But then to, to, to let them go and not have that anger and that control, because you can't force them to shape up. Um, anyway, anyway, we could talk. <laughs> well, and I too, I think that you were right in what you shared in that women are sometimes scared to talk to other women about the things that are happening inside their families because it is, it's, an, it's embarrassing to say my kids are acting like insane people and how can you help me for them to not be insane? Do you know what I mean? Well, and, it feels like it's a reflection on yes, you. Yes, you do. You it, sit there and, and you think, yeah. oh my word, I am yeah. a terrible mom and what in the world? And you just want to keep it to yourself and just hope it gets better. It does not get better. Well, and you or know... Or that people wouldn't talk about it, but of course they do. Yeah. And what we hear is that raise them, train them up in the way they're, right? to, they're to go, and when they're old, they won't depart, but nobody talks about the little detours that Hello. they take. <laughs> so you think, well, I've done something wrong. Right? If my child took a detour, I've done something wrong. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so mm -hmm. we need to be um, able to safely talk about those yeah, things absolutely. and understand that it's their choice. It, exactly. Yes, I did things wrong. I did a lot wrong. And, but and, yes. the bottom line is they make choices. And to say, Lord, redeem all the mistakes I made as a parent, but I can't go back and fix them now. Um, <laughs> hello, you're the great redeemer. I need some redemption right now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Not an easy button, but a redemption button. <laughs> Oops, sorry, honey. Redemption. But he, um, over one of my children that I was agonizing, he literally, you know how, you don't really hear a voice like in your ear, but you know it's an inner voice and you know it's him. And I felt like he said, you don't get to write her testimony. Because I'm like, Lord, come on, can't you do something with her? And, you know, and the idea that God's involved writing their individual testimonies, and they're going to have conflict, and they're going to have pain, and they're going to have detours, and they're going to make wrong choices, but God is powerful, and um, yeah.
Tammy, you're fabulous. Thank, Thank you, you, Tammy. Thank you. Next is Randall. You already got to meet him because he led worship for us. And that was I know. beautiful, by the way. I know. Wow. I know. Does Water's Edge Church get you to lead worship all the time? They, yeah, yeah, they try. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> I think we should move down here. I know. <laughs> and I'll also tell you, uh, he and his amazing wife, they have got an incredible story, and he's going to share a little bit of it now. They've got incredible kids. Um, you've adopted two of them. And there, I watch them uh, from afar on, you know, on Facebook where you stalk, really. And uh, they're, they're just a hoot. I mean, like, you're amazing, but you guys are also a hoot. Y'all are awesome. And uh, their daughter, I met one of their daughters uh, today when I first got here, and she is just scoots around this place, man. Like, she's amazing. And so he's going to share a little bit of a story, and you guys are going to be blessed. This family is the real deal. They are the real, real deal. And we are so, so honored for you to share some of your story tonight. Well, thank you. I hope that we can maybe have a little conversation too, because good yeah. grief. Why did you show that video? Because <laughs> I just saw the first part, yeah. and that's all the, the humor, and yeah. then I'm done. <laughs> I really feel out of place right here. Yeah. This is She Speaks Stories, yeah. but every now and then we let a he on We it. do, we do. So I was going to ask if, you're, if your listeners had keen ears, because they will not pick up on the fact that I'm not a female. <laughs> but I'm not a female. Uh, we, do have, uh, we do have five kids, two of them uh, adopted. Technically, actually, three of them were adopted. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, our first one, Eli, is almost 16. Oh, wow. But uh, it was a step-parent adoption. That's awesome. Yeah, so Love long, that. long time ago. Um, and in fact, sometimes we forget <laughs> that, he, that he is not mine biologically. But um, we do have five. Um, two of them uh, made the, the fun way. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I, that's my story. That's not my wife's story. <laughs> it's fun for, fun for me, at least. We've taken yeah. a turn now. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I do when I get in awkward situations that I don't belong. Okay. Uh, yeah, so we five, two of them, uh, the youngest two um, adopted, and um, the old, both of them um, have special needs, Down syndrome and some other, um, some other needs. And um, um, the oldest of the two, Isla, is now six. She was two when we, um, when we brought her home. And, um, man, when we were going through the process to adopt her, we were just green. Mm -hmm. We had no idea what we were doing. Um, We knew we wanted to adopt. We had spent some time in the foster care system in North Carolina before we moved here. And um, during that time, it really kind of opened our eyes to, to the need. When we came here, we wanted to adopt. We really thought we were going to adopt local domestic open adoption. That's a whole lot of terms, and we can talk about those things later. Um, But we thought that was the plan for us. So we met with a a friend of ours who's a family attorney, asked a bunch of questions about how to get started, and that's the road we went down. And then um, a few months later, uh, a a pastor from the Richmond area posted um, APB for a family for a yet-to-be-born child who, um, who was di- diagnosed with, with Down syndrome. And we thought, 
nope. Oh, I thought nope. I think my wife was probably on board. But I said, I can't do she it. She was probably like, when? Yeah, like, she really was. Now. She really was. She asked me when I was going to call about this, this uh, child. But I was not open to it. It was it scared. It really sure. scared me. Yeah. And, um, and so it just so happened that Facebook is really smart. I think it listens to us. It does. Because a, an ad popped up on the that. side yes. that said, curious about Down Syndrome. And See, I was, it's Big Brother. Dude. Big Brother. It, yeah. it is a little creepy, maybe, isn't it? Maybe but, a mixture of the Holy Spirit as well. Right. There we go. Who could be also called a Big Brother. Yep. He, so I clicked it because it was this beautiful um, pictorial describing how people with Down syndrome can lead beautiful, big, long lives. Mm. And I knew people with Down syndrome growing up, and they did not live yeah. big, beautiful, long lives. They lived quiet, secluded, and short lives in a lot of ways. But this particular packet changed all of that for me. And so we began the process um, of pursuing this particular child. And um, it turns out 900 other families were interested in this this particular child. ABC News picked it up. It became a big thing. And they you know, they found a family for this child. What that did for us, though, was opened up our eyes oh, okay. to special needs adoption. And so we um, s- s- thought, okay, well, maybe we're not going domestic, uh, local, open. Maybe we're just going to go domestic, special needs, and see what happens. So we were a part of this organization that helped place kids with special needs and families in America. And they just so happened to partner with Bethany Christian Services for a program that China was opening up to place children uh, with Down syndrome in families. And and my wife pulled a picture up and said, this is our daughter. And I said, said, great, where is she? China. I said, wait a minute, I thought we were going domestic. Well, this is our daughter. How much does it cost? That's the thing, first, first thing in my head. And it was a lot of dollars. And I thought, nope, we can't, I mean, we can't do it. Yeah. And initially it was like $30,000. And yeah. I thought, well, I, heard, I, I, yeah. I don't have, I don't have that. Yeah. I can't, we can't do it. Um, but we, we did ask some questions and learned that there were ways that you could either fundraise or get grants or things like that, that helped cover the cost. And there's money that the government actually helps um, reimburse or pay back or give credit for. Um, it has changed over time, but they still are helpful in, in that way. So we thought, okay, we can do it. We'll do it. We'll go forward. We'll just take the steps and see what happens. And 14 months later and $45,000 later, which was raised, it was like, not like we, I mean, we had not that much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> not that We much. had a portion of that in savings, <laughs> but not that much. But because of um, fundraising and grants and the, the way that the, the government structure works, and it, we got there. 14 months it took us to get there. We got, we got Isla. We brought her home. And um, my wife was insistent that we had a two-year window. We wanted, we wanted um, Isla to be home for as long as she was in the orphanage before we started before we brought another one yeah. home. And so um, at that October was the, uh, of 2016 was that two-year mark. And she said, are we 
adopting or not? And I said, well, I don't know. Let's, let's just, we've only been home two years. Like, we need to talk about this. Like, now is the, in my mind, it was, this is when we start talking about it. In her mind, it was, this is when it happens. <laughs> There's a little disconnect. Husband and wives don't always, they don't always tell the same stories, right? So, <laughs> um, I was at a, at a retreat with our staff. And I, I occasionally get to write for an adoption blog called No Hands But Ours. And I had just, on that retreat, finished the last little bit of an article I was writing for, for this particular um, online publication. And in that um, article, I w- was recalling a story. It's too long to tell here, but part of it is that through the process of adopting Isla, what, what God continued to speak to us was this passage in Isaiah 40, um, I mean, in Psalm 77, it says, the road led us through the sea, your pathway through mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. So we had no idea how to get to $45,000. It might as well have been $2 million. Like, we yeah. were going to have to trust God for it yeah. no matter what. But God knew, and he knew that there was a pathway that was hidden just for us so that when we needed it, we could cross it. And, um, and as we, I was re- recalling a story writing it down, sending it out um, on this, for this adoption blog. I submitted it, and that night at 8 p.m., my wife called me and said, <laughs> there's a little baby that was born in Seattle. She's from Chinese parents. She has Down syndrome, and they want, us, they want to know if we want to take her. <laughs> okay. I said, okay, well, I think we should pray about it. Can I give you an answer at 8 a.m. tomorrow? She said, Yes. We're not in the, even the same city. We're like, we're not even together, and this is all happening. And so I woke up the next morning, and this is what, this is what I read from Psalm 43, 19. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Mm, that's right. And here's what's cool. It says, a pathway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. So the first verse was, I'm going to make dry land for you through the river. And then in this next sort of encouragement, God says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do it different. Instead of a river, in the de- instead of dry ground through the river, I'm going to give you a river through the desert. It's going to be totally different. Which was exciting and encouraging and very mysterious because I didn't know what in the world that meant. But, but here's what happened. Um, we said yes. And then um, three days later, my wife was on a plane to Seattle. The family, um, the birth family had chosen us to be the, the adoptive parents. And um, my wife was on a plane to Seattle. We still didn't have, I mean, this one was a, a little less costly, but still $25,000 is what we needed. Jump change. Yeah. Can I tell you, 14 months, 14 yeah, months right. it took us to raise, to raise $45,000. $25,000 we were able to raise in five days. Stop wow. it. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy. Did you do wow. that through fundraising? We did it through, we did it through fundraising. And I'll, I'll tell you, a lot of it, we asked, because it just happened to fall in October, which is Down Syndrome Awareness Yeah, Month. yeah. And so oh. we said, hey, would you consider giving $21? Oh, uh, And yeah. so we were able to raise, not all of it, through that, but thousands of dollars, yeah. $21 at a time. You know, um, when we were in the process of fundraising for our adoption, there's a little bit of uh, embarrassment and shame that come to that because you've got this little camp over here saying, well, if you can't afford it, then why are you going to do it? But not that I'm bitter about saying that or anything, but 
so when they would say that to me, you kind of would just get deer in headlights. And I, um, uh, our pastor got up one Sunday and he, uh, we were selling t-shirts and I was mortified about him holding those t-shirts up on stage. I said, do not do that. Do not do that. I mean, I was like kind of having this moment about it. Like, cause I was em- almost embarrassed that we were having to raise funds. And, uh, he said to me, Susan, there are going to be 3,000 people here today. Do you think 3,000 people can adopt? No, but do you think that 3,000 people would want to help someone with adoption? Because not everybody is able. You are robbing people of the ability to partner with you to bring those kids home. So let's get a village. And I'm telling you, so many times we don't want to say stuff because we really think, oh, it's going to be awkward. Well, let it be awkward. You're trying to get kids home. Let it be awkward. If that, you know what I mean? If that were their kid needing something, they would say, they would put out a GoFundMe like that. And so it's beautiful that it took five days for people to rally to be able to get that money. I mean, that's a Holy Spirit thing. Yeah. And over the next, I would say, um, I think it was just over a year, um, five or six other families um, began the process to adopt. And over the next two or three years, this community in this area raised over half a million dollars to help bring kids home. Wow. Now that's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. And, I mean, it is really, and, and that's when, it, when a light bulb kind of went off for us because we realized that there are 20 million kids in the world that need homes. Amen. Right Amen. now, we're waiting. Actually, there's more than that that need homes, but there are 20 million right now who are waiting Paper to be ready. adopted. Yeah. yeah. Right. And we don't have a van or a house big enough for 20 million kids. I bet your wife would differ on that. <laughs> she keeps Bring saying all on. the kids, all the kids, all the kids. And I can't help, I, I can't do 20 million kids. So, <laughs> but the crazy, I mean, 20 million seems like a big number and nobody really knows how to yeah. put uh, uh, your head around 20 million anything. Um, and so we, we kind of started pulling back a little bit and realized, okay, 20 million is the world's number. Yeah. Um, in the U.S., that number is around 150,000, which still feels big, Huge. right? Um, but in Virginia, that number is six or 7,000, somewhere around there in the upper sixes, 7,000 kids waiting to be adopted right now. And in Hampton, in Hampton, there are 35. Wow. Wow. See, that's a more manageable number. There's 35 kids. There's at least that many people in here. I'm not asking you all to adopt. (laughs) So now you really discover the reason you came tonight. (laughs) Packets will be available. No, just kidding. (laughs) But yeah, it is. That makes it. That makes it something that we can latch on to. Yes, absolutely. Across the peninsula, the number's not even a hundred right now. Yeah. So this is something that we can do together, but it comes when someone says, yes, I will do this. Yes. And then we rally people around them to make sure that they have the support that they need, whether it's funding or grass cutting or meals or somebody to come watch their other kids while they go through all of these other things that it takes to go through the process of adopting. And then once home, all of the things that... Uh, need to happen for attachment um, and what's going on behind the scenes. It just, it really does take a village. And that's beautiful because it does. It takes more than, it's, 
I'd made a very, very, very bad decision when my kids first came home. Um, I had in my mind this view that I needed to hunker in and attach and not let anybody in. And that's what I did. And it was the loneliest time of my life. First of all, because my kids didn't speak English. What? So I did charades all day long. Like that's what I did all day long was charades. But then I was so lonely, but I was determined. I got to attach with them. I got to attach with them. And I'll tell you what, my small group was so generous in like, what do you need? And I kept pushing them away. I don't need anything. Well, now that I'm on this side of it, when they, when I see people going into adoption, I'm like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I no longer even say, how can I help? I say, here's how we're going to it's help. It's a wasted question. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because you don't know. Yeah. You're staring at them. Our, right. One of our pastors is about to adopt. And I went to his wife and I said, here's what we're going to do. And she was like, oh, I don't know if we're going to need that. I'm like, you're going to need that and more. Like, are you kidding right. me? And right. so I think sometimes when you're saying we rally a village, you rally a village because those people don't even need what, know what they need right yep. now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you, look at the, when you look at the numbers alone, we really don't even need one person from every church. We need like one, one family from every six churches yeah. in this area to, to eliminate the need for family, for yeah. foster families and for adoptive families. Yeah. That's what we need. And, but what we need for them is people to say that. I'm going to step up. Not what do you need, but I'm showing up with dinner tomorrow at 7. You're going to be home at 7. Can I take your kids to the playground? Yep. Can I take them out to the mall? Can I take them to dinner while you do whatever you need to do? That is one of the biggest gifts that you could give an adoptive family. And, and it, was, it was kind of through this process, our process of, of adoption and, and learning and feeling in the trenches that God revealed himself to be with us. And through that understanding of God being with us that we realized that other people were with us too. It's good. They were with us in the sense that God was with us. God came to us. This is a Christmas season. This is not a Christmas story, but God came with us. And Matthew, the book of Matthew, calls him Emmanuel. And Matthew defines that as God with us. Right. And that with, there's this big word called, it's meta. We use the word meta all the time, metadata, metamorphosis. It means just beyond. So essentially what the, the wording there is, God sits and just lets it unfold. It's the imagery of like sitting down for a long story in front of the fire, with a glass of wine or whatever your favorite drink is, and letting your friend just vent. Mm. That's the idea of with. It's this meta, it's beyond. There's a story in Job where... Job was going through, he'd lost everything, and his friends came, and they just sat, and they said nothing. It said for days, they said nothing. That's the width. Sometimes, that's what an adoptive family needs. It's just for you to be with a long conversation, mm -hmm. a long sit, and just be mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the things that we um, we've really felt in our heart after all of these things that we've been through with the adoption and seeing how this community had rallied around, um, we realized that God was doing something in this community yeah. for kids in foster care and for families who wanted to adopt. And um, we just said, God, if you could use us to be a resource, that's what we want to do. And so um, through a lot of prayer and through a lot of um, mentorship, we 
said, God, if this is what you want us to do, then we're going to do it. So we launched an organization called We Are the Echo, based on the idea that what we do here on earth in the the realm of adoption is a picture of what God has done for us. It is the gospel that God came to us in our mess when we could not find a way to him, and he settled with us. He made his home with us, and he brought us in as his family. So I, I, I think one of the greatest things that, that we can, can do, one is to adopt or foster. Um, but if you don't adopt or foster, you are not in the free and clear. You still have a job to do. Because if there's one person at your table who is considering adoption, they need all of the rest of you to be with them because it's gonna get messy, it's gonna get hard, and they're gonna need to know that they're supported. Because 50% of the families who say yes to fostering or adopting quit before the end of their first placement or before the process is complete. But for those families who have support, 90% of them see it through. And a third of those who wrapped around them as supporters will eventually say yes and become foster or adoptive parents themselves. That's why this is so important, why it's so important that we do, that we come together on this this particular need. Right Right here, we have, in this room, you talk about stories and conflict. The conflict is that there are 300 kids on the peninsula who don't have a family right now. But the solution mm-hmm. is right here. Yeah. In this room and across the peninsula, we, mm-hmm. we, can, we can do this. Yeah. One thing, I, um, the peninsula is near and dear to my heart. I lived here for five years. I was um, on staff at Liberty Baptist Church, and um, I feel like a piece of me will always live here because I always want to get back to see my friends. And uh, some of you all walked into the room and I squealed my head off like I hadn't seen you in a hundred years because I was so happy to see you. And um, what I love is, is that I know there are such good churches in this area. And what I love even more is that God designed um, the body of Christ to be the answer to many things in this world. And what I do know is, is that he's very compassionate and very serious in James about how we're to care for the orphan and the widow. And what I love is that he has provided a way to do that through the local church. And can you imagine um, the local um, Department of Social Services, the local adoption agencies, can you imagine what their view of the gospel would be when they see local churches rising up to be the answer. Not necessarily, like Randall's saying, to be the answer, to be the adoption family, but to be maybe even the one that says, hey, I'm there for respite if you need me for 24 hours. Hey, what do these adoption families need? Gift cards for a night out? Okay, I'm there. Let me bring you some gift cards. There are so many ways that... um, that you can partner with the Department of Social Services. And I, I just, I can tell you, there's so many ways to help in adoption, but when the body of Christ unites, we are not stoppable. Because we are not an organization. We are a living organism. And we have at our helm the Holy Spirit. And his heartbeat 
is for the orphan. And when he gives us a command to care for those who don't have a father, he is not a deadbeat dad. He shows up to help us help them. I'm talking way too much right now. I'm sorry. (laughs) See, you get me on this topic of adoption. I'm like, okay, we're going to solve the problems of the world today. But I am telling you this. I want you seriously to leave here tonight and think about what would your role be? I mean, that doesn't mean you go home to your husband and say, hey, found one on the internet. I mean, no, not saying that. (laughs) Because you will never be allowed out of the house again to an event. But what I am saying is, is that you leave. They'll hunt us down. I know. What have they done? But what I would say is, seriously pray about how you can support families, how you can support. There are churches that have um, orphan care initiatives. How can you come alongside of those initiatives and be a part of that? Does that make sense? Because man, your life will be so much richer. I'm going to shut up. I'm so sorry. Don't shut up. <laughs> I'm talking here's so much. A, here's a great thing. If you want to know, we, we want to create followers of Jesus. We want to be better followers of Jesus. Amen. If you want to know where Jesus is, he's always in the margins. Always. Always in the margins. And that includes the orphan. That's right. That's right. I think that, can I take a poll real quick? Sure. How many people in the room have ever thought about adopting? Look at all those hands. I could kiss you. Yeah. You've thought about it. You're thinking about it now. Maybe I would. Statistically, 96% of Christians have thought about adopting, but only 3% actually take a step. There's good reasons why they shouldn't. Yeah. There are good reasons why we shouldn't. But there are reasons that are preventing them from saying yes that can actually be overcome. Yeah. And and that's what we want to do. We want to help overcome. We want to resource the church and church members to know how to step over those barriers that keep you from saying yes, whether it's support or funding or advocacy, whatever it is, you maybe just don't know how to start. That's what we want to do. We want to help mobilize the church to be able to say yes more often so that we take those numbers and make them small. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll tell you this, even our theme tonight is Um, The struggle is part of our story. Even in um, watching how God connects the dots in overcoming the orphan crisis, that struggle is powerful to even watch how God overcomes all of the hard Mm -hmm. parts of Mm -hmm. that adoption life because he is so faithful to overcome every obstacle. Mm -hmm. He is so Mm -hmm. very faithful. So Randall, what I'm going to ask you to do is two things. One, um, first of all, and I know we weren't going to plug this, but I am going to plug it just because I want to. Um, How that, your echo. Yes. I mean, you don't echo. Your organization is called Echo. Yes. And so um, can, how can they follow you? Because your posts on Instagram are quite informative and I love them. So uh, Instagram is uh, We Are The Echo. Um, Facebook is Echo Partner. I'm trying to get the handle from the person who's been. Did they take it? Yes, but Bless it was from like 2014 and they've not done anything with it. And I'm just Bless like, hearts. You need keep, to get that. I keep fighting for it, yes. trying to get it. So follow us on Instagram because it's better. We are the echo is, yeah. is the best way. Our website, same thing, we are the echo. Okay. Dot org. And you can follow because he's got, got great ideas. I mean, just great ideas, tangible ways that you can be a part of advocacy and help yeah. with this. Um, and then the other thing I'm going to ask is if you will um, pray, because there were a lot of hands that raised. Praise mm-hmm. God. And so um, we have this thing at our church called Orphan Sunday that we do every single year. And um, we have people like on year six that will come to us and they will say, I've sat through this now for five years. 
okay, I know I'm supposed to be doing it now. Yeah. And so sometimes, I think even Gwen said this today as we were driving, um, sometimes whether you, it wasn't about adoption, we are talking about stories in general. Sometimes you hear something from a story and it's not until the sixth time that you hear it or the mm-hmm. seventh time that you mm-hmm. hear it that God finally says, okay, now it's time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. maybe tonight a seed's just planted. But maybe in a couple of years, it's more than a seed and you're starting to prepare a bedroom because God, for some reason, gave you a big giant house. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so um, let's pray tonight for the seeds that were planted, not just um, in the adoption story, but in all of those stories that we heard, there was a purpose in all of them. Yeah. And I would imagine you can see yourself in some part of that story, whether it was Care's story, whether it was Tammy's story, whoever story it was, Randall's that very long video, whatever it was, um, I would imagine there's something, even if it's not the exact same thing, you can see yourself in that. And what I want to tell you is the God that intervened in those stories is the same God that wants to intervene in your story. The same God that wants to show up in your, I just spit, sorry. The same God that wants to show up in your story. And the idea that stories really can change lives. I know when that video played at our church years ago, there was a momentum of other people. Um, But it had nothing to do with us, and it had everything to do with God. Sharing a story. Um, The other crazy thing, our very first podcast this year, we talked about that verse. Mm. Uh, Look, I am doing something new. I will make a path yeah. in the wilderness. I will bring streams in the desert. Do you yeah. remember that? Yep. This is our very last yeah. podcast of the year for the year. Mm-hmm. And here you bring that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what holds all of us back, either from adopting or just jumping in and supporting, oftentimes is fear. Yeah, it's the struggle. Struggle is the wasteland. Yeah. And over and over and over, God says, fear not. Yeah. yeah. And that verse is so empowering. Look. Yeah. I'm doing something new, yeah. and I will make Amen. a path. You Amen. know what's crazy is uh, adoption is kind of scary. If you've been through it, it's yeah. kind of scary, and we say this um, often. Adoption is not for the faint of heart. Foster care is not for the faint of heart, no. but it is at the heart of the God who does not Amen. faint. Amen. Amen. He will not give up on us. Yeah. He will not give up on these kids. Yeah. And he's using us to make yeah. sure that their needs and I'll are tell met. You and whatever he's calling you to do, in that, he will equip you. Yeah. He, pro- he provides. He will equip yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. $25,000 and, and I think, too, taste. in wow. any of these stories that we heard tonight, you hear a little bit of this feeling of weakness, whether it's um, in any four of these stories, you hear, you hear this thing of, I feel weak, I feel weak. Um, we, I have come to understand in hearing people's stories that a lot of times when we read the Bible, especially if we've been reading it since we were younger, where it talks about he is strong where we're weak, it is not a cliche God really does show up and his power is strong in our weakness. And that is true in every struggle of our story. He shows up in his strength and overcomes the weakness that we have. And that's powerful. But Mm -hmm. Randall, we want you to pray. Yeah. And if you'll just pray uh, for everything that we've heard tonight and that you will pray that, man, the Holy Spirit does above and beyond anything that we can ask, dream, or imagine in the way that we respond to the stories we've heard. Absolutely. Let's pray. As we pray, I wanted to just remind us of a, of a scripture in Isaiah. It says, those who care for the vulnerable, who defend the widow and the orphan, you will be known as restorers of homes and rebuilders of walls. God, that is our prayer tonight. 
that you would use us, that you would use us to be restorers, that you would use us to be rebuilders. God, that you would take our hands, our feeble efforts, our empty bank accounts, whatever it is, and work miracles. Because God, there are 300 kids right now who don't know if they're going back home. There are 100 kids on the peninsula right now who are wondering if they'll ever have a family. God, there's brokenness in their little bodies, in their minds, in their emotions, in their spirits. But you can heal them. And you delight in using us to do it. Not because we're special, but because we say yes. With our hands open, we say yes. God, a dream of a day when the number of kids waiting to be adopted on the peninsula is zero. And you can do it. You can do it when we say yes. You can do it. God, we know that there are needs around us. We know that there are families at risk of fracturing right now. God, we ask that you would help us, give us eyes to see so we can intervene, so that we can be a voice that reminds these that they are special, that they are loved, that they're worthy. God, use us. That's what we ask tonight, is that you use us. In Jesus' name, amen.